0: Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to Ben Shapiro. No, not that Ben Shapiro. Uh, We don't platform fascists here, don't worry. I'm talking to Ben Shapiro, who is an amazing baseball mind. We're going to talk to him about uh, the lockout taking place in MLB. Also, I've got some choice words about uh, why organizations that love dictatorships, like the International Olympic Committee and FIFA, are now taking a hard line on Russia. Very interesting development in that part of the sports politics world. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. And we've got a special basketball edition of Jake's Aches. But first, let's talk to Ben Shapiro. And as promised, we have one of my favorite baseball voices, someone I used to have on as a regular when we did the Edge of Sports show on Sirius XM. His name is Ben Shapiro. Ben, how are you doing? I am great. How are you doing today, Dave? Good. I do feel like we have to be very crystal clear with our audience that you're not the proto-fascist Ben Shapiro. Uh, so, what's it like walking around with that with that name? I got. I just have to ask first and foremost: How often is that a problem for you?
1: Well, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, you open up Twitter, and you see what's trending, and it's your name, and you're not even remotely happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you're just like, oh God, what did he say? What happened? What what now? What what embarrassing thing? And then there's the other flip side. I mean, in real life, people that know me obviously know I'm not him. But they'll, <laughs> like when I'm introduced to people, though, they're like, oh, man, that must be rough having that name, which is, that's not great. And then there's the, uh, you know, your, if you like comment on like a friend's Facebook post, but they obviously have a lot of friends that don't know you. And they're like, wait. Why is Ben Shapiro commenting on, you know, and it's just this like whole thing and yeah. It's, it's it's not it's not great, but I suppose there are a few worse names to have out there. So I, I can't complain too much. Definitely. And you know what? You carry it so well, I think he's the one
0: who should have to answer for carrying that name because he's tar- I, I agree. The- i <laughs> So, Ben, let, let, you're, you're such a good baseball mind. I, I just want to throw some questions out at you, and maybe you can help us understand what's going on. Because uh, we're, we're, we're going to lose opening day, March 31st. We're already losing upwards of 100 games. Um, are you surprised that it's come to this, actually losing games? Because we heard about this all winter, but I know a lot of smart people who are like, okay, they'll come to their senses. There's too much money at stake. Are, are you surprised it's come to this?
1: Well, when, as, we, as you referenced already, when it first started back in early December, I didn't think we would lose games. I figured there's a lot of time left and uh, clearly no one wants to lose games, so they'll get something done. But as we started getting into January and you saw this sort of, you know, it wasn't like there were these, you know, wire to wire negotiations going on or anything like that. And given the history, uh, of, of this whole thing. And, you know, uh, most of us are old enough to at least remember that it wasn't that long ago that half a season was lost, including the postseason. You realize that it's not impossible. You know, it can happen. It's happened before. And it, it had happened prior to 1994, never to such an extreme. Uh, so, yeah, as we got towards late January, I started to think that, you know, there just wasn't a sense of urgency here. And um, it wasn't going to surprise me that games were lost. Mm.
0: Why is it so important for not just the fan, but I'll even say the citizen, the individual to understand this as a lockout instead of a strike? Why do, why do the
1: words matter so much? Because I think we live in this world right now where there's always got to be two sides to something. And on on many issues, I think that, has some validity uh, on some obviously there are some some factual elements and and this is one of those issues it is you know it has to be made clear here the reason there is no baseball right now is because the owners have locked out the players now you will you can read things that say, oh well had they not locked out the players the players may have gone on strike at the beginning of the season and I'm not going to sit here and say that they definitely would not have done that but right now, the reason there are no games is because the owners have locked the players out. So this is not a, uh, you know, those bums need to get back on the field and play baseball situation. Uh, that That is not what's happening here. And so I think once you've established that, I think then it's important to sort of that, that you can go from there and segue into, OK, so. If this is happening because of the owners, then, you know, what's up with these owners?
0: And you look at some of the stuff the owners are proposing, like, you know, like like basically playoffs, where almost half the teams are in the playoffs. And uh, it makes you wonder, do, do, they, do they even like baseball? I mean, do you ever get the feeling that people like Rob Manfred and the people in charge don't even like the sport that they're supposed to be helming and making popular to the American public? I'm very
1: frustrated by that. Yeah, I think I I definitely think there are some owners out there. Look, you've written extensively about sports ownership and how there is a an ego aspect to it. You know, it's like I've got the yacht and I've got the 12 houses and, you know, I need a sports franchise kind of thing. And and so I do think there are probably some owners out there like that. Um, I think there are definitely owners that are big baseball fans. I don't you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a Yankee fan of those that know me and you, you know, I'm a big Red Sox fan, but I, am pretty sure the Steinbrenners are, are fairly big baseball fans. I am, uh, even though I know they're running this thing in, in many ways, uh, as far they're one of the lead owners here, but, um, you know, I, I definitely think there are some owners that, that probably don't love the sport as much as you'd hope they did. And I, I think that, uh, it's a shame. I do. I think some of the proposals are, are whack. I don't think there's any real reason. No one, no one out there has ever said, uh, "Gee, if only the regular season meant less." Mm. <laughs> you know, and I, and no one ever says that. In fact, it, when you when you go to the fans that are, are super fans of the sports where you know the most teams get in, and that's uh, you know hockey and basketball, the, the common gripe you hear. Is oh you know these regular season games they don't mean as much because everyone makes the playoffs, and you know I think that there's some validity to that. Anyone that's ever watched, uh, you know, there's there's always some 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 stinkers, and there's stinkers in baseball too. But I guess my point is is that it, it's got to mean something to make the playoffs. Uh, I think that keeps fans engaged and keeps uh, teams engaged as well.
0: So. But let's definitely cut through the crap of what a lot of the mouthpieces and ownership are saying. And then even some of the replies from the players union, you wonder how much of this is sincere or just saber rattling. What are the sticking points? Like, why have they not been able to come up with an agreement in your mind?
1: Well, I think there's, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff that has to do with the actual, and this is going to disappoint some fans, but I think a lot of the stuff that has to do with the actual game you see on the field is not, I mean, clearly that we already know that, like, universal DH was not the issue. Now, I know there's plenty of baseball purists that won't, doesn't, don't want to hear that, but it just wasn't, that, that was not the issue. Um, you know, I, I would like to see bunting be more of an issue, but that's not an issue. Um, this is about arbitration time. This is about league minimum salary. This is about luxury tax. And this is about tanking. And those are the issues. And... You know, I think for fans of teams that tank, you know, I mean, if you're an Orioles fan uh, and, you know, you're somehow not on the player's side, that's just odd to me. (laughs) Mm. Because the players are trying to put in clauses that would make it more difficult for your favorite team to go out and basically say, you know what, we're going to deliberately lose like 100 to 120 games this year wait until you see our draft pick. And by the way, because of revenue sharing, uh, we're going to still clear probably a handsome profit, but of course, no one really knows for sure.
0: Right, because they're not opening up the books.
1: Right, which I think to me is, to me that is the end-all be-all of this entire debate because, I, look, I get that, you know, people are going to harp on, what well, you know, the players want a higher minimum salary. The minimum salary is, I think, Five or six hundred thousand dollars a year. They want it closer to seven hundred thousand dollars a year. The average person hearing that is like, I don't care, and I get it. You know, no one is worried about like Chris Sale putting food on the table for his family or paying rent, nor should they be. Um, but that being said, at the end of the day, if your bosses are coming to you and saying, uh, "Look, we need you guys to take less of a pay raise," Uh, less, you know, maybe a pay cut in some cases, and you know, we want we we want to decrease the amount of revenue that's shared, and we want to increase this luxury tax to prevent teams from spending more money, uh, because look, franchises are hurting, uh, you know, and we, you know, that kind of thing, and then if you're a player, like, okay, well, you know, that's good because I think what people m- miss here is that unions really have two primary focuses, right? You gotta ensure you want higher salaries you want to grow wages but you also have to ensure jobs so if the mlb owners came to the players and said look here's the financial statements look at these franchises they're hurting we're going to have to contract three teams that's a significant amount of jobs that would be lost i would think the players union at that point would say well we'd like more money but we also don't want to lose you know 90 to 100 members of our union due to job losses. So guess what? We're going to have to make some concessions. But unfortunately, the owners won't ever show them that paperwork. They just want to cry about how poor they are while they're getting tax dollars for stadiums and you know, tons of revenue from naming rights for the stadiums that they got paid for by the taxpayers. And then they get the concessions and then they get the massive TV contracts and then they get the money from the sale of all the merchandise and all that stuff. And they don't want to show you those financial statements so to me that is the height of of the problem that is that is where the problem lies you can't have an honest negotiation if one side isn't isn't being open and honest everyone knows how much the players make right we we read about it all the time you read about how you know this guy got a 300 million dollar deal and this guy got a big deal we all know how much mike trout and max scherzer and mookie Betts make and you know that's well documented but we don't know how much profit the Yankees make. We don't know how much profit the Pirates make, even though they don't draw particularly well. They don't win a lot of games. Do you know how much profit the 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 Rays make, who don't draw very well, even though they put a very good product on the team, on, on the field rather? So mm-hmm. those are that's that's important. That that's where that's where the issue is, as far as my, my vantage point is. No,
0: and I just to ask you a question from from the bigger political perspective. I mean, it, it's difficult. First of all, not to delink what you see the baseball owners doing from a broader culture of corporate greed and one percentism in the United States. And it's also difficult for me, and this is where I want you to tell me if you think I'm I'm wrong or anything like that, to – it's hard for me to not want to see the players hold together, not just because I, I, I love baseball and I believe in what they're fighting for, but also because I think it can be very inspiring to people in other parts of the labor force to see a union actually stick together and, and get a victory in these difficult times. Do you think that, I mean, you know, I think that sports and baseball can have that kind of ripple effect, but I'm curious if you share that.
1: No, I do. I share it. And I think that uh, right now, I mean, I think you mentioned this maybe, but I think the the baseball players can, you know, I mean, they can just look at what's happening at Starbucks, right? I mean, they don't have the same kind of financial cushion the players have. So, you know, we we know it can be done. Um, I think the other sports unions are definitely watching this because uh, win or lose on this deal, the baseball union is still in all likelihood going to emerge as the strongest of the four major sports uh, unions. Um, they, they always have been so. I think they want to maintain that. I, I think the players are probably going to stick together. Um, I, I feel pretty good about that. I, I think the other thing that's so ironic is that, you know, these teams that are crying poverty in all likelihood, uh, you know, teams like the Orioles that, you know, teams that don't draw well, teams that have been losing a lot, those kind of teams, they exist though, because of something that, you uh, most, right, most people on the right in this country would call socialism, which is revenue sharing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the Yankees don't keep every cent they earn. They have to put some into a pot, which goes to the smaller market teams to ostensibly for competitive balance, but potentially something that those owners just pocket and don't put back onto the field. And I would think that that may cause more division within that small group of owners than the players have because at least with the players everyone knows how much the guy at the end of the bench makes and everyone knows how much the star makes it's all right there anyone you know everyone knows anyways you know so i feel like that is probably a place where that that's a a potential division that the players could extort if they had the numbers which is part of the reason why i think that ownership doesn't want to show it to them
0: now You know, I I told you I was going to ask you this question, and and partly the reason why I'm asking it to you is honestly just to inject it into the conversation in a very ham-handed way. But I'm very upset by the fact that this is Jackie Robinson's 75th diamond anniversary. This is the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson smashing the color line, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, 1947-2022. It's also, in in this summer, I believe in July, the 100th birthday— of Jackie's widow, Rachel Robinson, who you know became a, a professor at Yale and has this incredible life, and she's still with us. Right. And this would be an opportunity to actually celebrate Rachel Robinson in addition to celebrate Jackie's diamond legacy. So my yeah, I, is... Go ahead,
1: sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, my question is, what does it say about the regard or disregard that Major League Baseball has for their own history that they would so casually... Uh, you know, rack a season that has so much import.
1: Well, I think if you thought that that was going to be the thing that ultimately brought the two sides together, that was probably a little bit much to hope for. Yeah, but I do think that. Look, I have a feeling that that exists in the back of the minds of some of the more savvy owners. I I, I do think that that's something they know. First of all, you know, uh, sports ownership. In general, is not a, a big, you know, it's not a big club, right? You've got the MLB franchises, you got your thirty-two NFL franchises, you got your NBA teams, and your and your NHL teams. Everything after that is is much more minor. Uh, these guys, they they know each other, and in many cases, there's overlap. Some guys own multiple franchises, but uh, you know, everyone's watching what's going on in the NFL right now. You know, it, you know, everyone's aware that. That race is an issue in all sports, in 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 all of our our society, of course. And sports reflect society, as as you know know all too well. I have a feeling that there's owners that know in their back of their mind, like, you know, not going to be good if we're into the middle of the season and we have to do this. Oh yeah, we're going to rush through the season, and also we're going to rush through this 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson too. But everyone, come on out and celebrate. It's going to look a little it's not going to look so good and they will do their best to make it look as good as possible as they should, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not ideal. Uh, you know, I do think that, uh, I think the players are probably aware of it. Most of them, all of them are aware, uh, you know, to what level it has meaning is, is probably varied because there's so many professional baseball players out there from so many different backgrounds now. Um, you know, surely they all know who Jackie Robinson is. They all know what he did. But you know, I would think that that may mean something different than it does to Jackie Bradley Jr. versus maybe you know Max Scherzer. Mm. You know, I, that, I don't. But that's and that's not to say anything bad about Max Scherzer. He might, uh, you know, he, he could. Be, it just it just is what it is. I think it it just there's a it, it's personalized at a level that you know, can't always be quantified by looking at Major League Baseball as some monolithic group of players. I don't know anything about Max Scherzer. You know, I'm sure he's great. And I'm sure he's, you know, he might be very, very into Jackie Robinson. But I'm saying from like a personal standpoint, like your experience coming up as a Major League Baseball hopeful, I would think for an African-American person in this country, Jackie Robinson probably is slightly elevated beyond maybe everyone else. Um, but, you know, that's, that's still going to be personal from player to player, I think. Well,
0: uh, Scherzer's been uh, good on the Union stuff, I will oh, say. Oh, no, he's
1: great. That's what I mean. He I, I, and... I I, was just a name that jumped to mind, probably because I have been reading about the Union stuff, and he is front and center in that. And like I said, I think, you know, he's great. He got himself a heck of a deal. Uh, you know, I think the Mets are if they play, are in a very good position going into this year. Um, But, you know, I'm just saying, you know, from the standpoint of, like, what Jackie Robinson means to an individual personally, I think it would vary, Um, you know.
0: Well, I also hope, and again, I don't know anything about this, that Max Scherzer would look at his own incredible salary and realize that, like, the talent of non-white athletes built... This incredible, oh yeah, uh, cash machine. <laughs>
1: well, not to <laughs> mention the, I would the hope he recognizes that. The, not just the talent, the actions. You know, you got Kurt Flood too. Yes, so exactly. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot. Roberto uh, Clemente, Roberto Clemente, Clemente so Clemente, union.
0: Sure. I mean, it's it, it's it's so it's so important. Like, if and if you realize and respect the contributions, then Jackie Robinson Day. Like, I, someone uh, tweeted me that if there's still the lockout on April 15th, players should gather in front of stadiums and do their own celebrations of Jackie Rock.
1: That would be pretty cool. I think that that would be the kind of thing that, and you know, I mean, I think that would be something very good. I think, I do think the players have more, I feel like there's more public empathy towards the players now than I did back in 1994. Agreed. Um, But I think it's because, and I do think it's because um, you know, there's so much coverage from so many media outlets, but it, you you really do have to sort of look around to find anyone really, really coming on. You know, I mean, there is varying degrees of pro player enthusiasm, but there's just not a ton of empathy for the owners on this one. I think the biggest mouthpiece out there pro ownership is probably Chris Mad Dog Russo. I, you know, I mean... Yeah, and that's um, and that's not something you brag about. Well, like, and, and, it's yeah, MLB. and he's that. got a show on MLB Network, and he even said, you know, I mean, of course people are going to look at that, and I mean, of course, and of course they are going to look at that, uh, obviously. Um, so you know, how much of it's genuine and how much of it is just him? And he's always delighted in sort of taking the alternative view. I mean, he is to an extent a contrarian. So, how much of it is his shtick and how much of it is his genuine, heartfelt? you know, desire to back ownership and how much of it is his job security. I'm not sure what the ratio is there. But like I said, you know, I struggle to find, you know, too many, uh, you know, you can find columnists saying like both sides have to get it together, but you can't find many just lambasting the players and taking the ownership side. But you can find a lot of people out there not happy with ownership right now. So I do think that the players have more leverage from a public standpoint than they have in the past. Breach. Uh, do you have any hope that this can end soon? I do. I think that ultimately uh, losing games is losing games. I do think, unfortunately, missing games does come down harder on the players than the owners. And, uh, you know, the players may end up making... I mean, they're probably... Look, if it does end, both sides are going to have to make concessions they don't like. The question is to what extent. Um, I can't see the union being broken. I also can't see the season being lost because I just think baseball is in a, is in a, it's not the end of the sport as people sometimes like to trumpet it being, but they're certainly in a position where I don't think they can afford to, they can't afford to lose a season. They probably can't afford to lose a half season. They really need to get it together. Um, I do think the fact that they're, you know, negotiating literally as we are recording, this is, uh, is good because they did they they have not shown this sense of urgency uh up until the last few weeks so i do feel like there's going to be some movement at some point um but i i i have to think that that it's going to end
0: mm-hmm. and what I, I i God, your mouth god's ears i hope you're right What one last question for you and i really do appreciate the time um and this is a bit of a painful question well, what were you looking forward to most of all for the 2022 season?
1: Well, I mean, of course, there's the list of just phenomenal young talent out there, yes. right? I mean, you've got um, Guerrero and Tatis, and just uh, really, and, and uh, for Red Sox fans, you know, Raffy Devers is just is just outstanding. Um, you know, and as a Red Sox fan, last year was really, you know, I felt like we were playing with house money. I, I, you know, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. Then they made the playoffs. Then they beat the Rays. And then they actually, you know, they really pushed the Astros. Um, you know, are they going to come back better this year? Um, there's some free agents. There's a lot of free agents out there, too. So that's always fun. Uh, fire up the the lukewarm stove, I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, from a personal standpoint, look, my, my son is four and a half. Um, I don't think I need to mention to anyone that. It's due to other circumstances. He has not been to a game yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I was really looking forward to getting him to at least one or more games this year. And even though I am a Red Sox fan, I was actually looking forward to seeing what this Mets team was going to do. Because that, I think that, you know, I mean, adding Scherzer. I mean, I, I, that, how can a team with Scherzer and DeGrom not be highly competitive, right? I mean, that, that's, you know,
0: that's interesting. Yeah that that in and of itself is very interesting. I love that. Um I will just say for myself that you know even though because of where I live and my son I'm an Oriole. I'm I'm into the Orioles. I know it's it's very sad, but they have some young talent. You know, they have the best minor league program in the in in the baseball as judged by every outlet.
1: Yeah, no. There's, there's, there's talent little, coming up.
0: I, there's so much talent coming up. We were excited to check that out. My son, who's 13, got really into baseball actually during the pandemic. And so right. to see that kind of rested away from him, right when he's really feeling it and getting excited and $10 seats to see the Orioles, you know? Yeah, right.
1: I mean, that's a know, good day can, right
0: there. That's a fun we'll time. Go. And it's,
1: it's is still a great ballpark. So. Yeah,
0: and they compete too. Right. So, it's, it, it, so even like if you watched them last year, I know nobody did, but like even when they were playing really good teams, they would compete and play hard. And so it was always fun to go to the park. We went to something like six or seven games last year. Like I said, it's like, it's actually affordable. Right. And so to, to have, cause they're the Orioles. And so to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just a serious letdown at a time where I think given the news in the world, we could all use a little lift. So, and I wonder if that's also why, and cause I agree with you with your analysis. I wonder if that's also why there's uh a, a definite feel of a lean towards the players among the general
1: public. I I do think that, look, people like, uh, you know, even just, you know, baseball, the casual fans, right. They're into it at the end and they're into it at the beginning. They like the beginning because it's sort of like spring and it's this thing and it's new and people, you know, go and then, and then, you know, obviously I think the more casual fans probably fall off as the season progresses. And, uh, And then, you know, I think they come back, the ones that are fans of the teams that make the playoffs, of course, and then they're into it at the postseason. But, and then the Dyard fans are are willing to, you know, tune in the whole year round. You know, and for the Orioles, I think Orioles fans have got to be sitting there and thinking to themselves, like, you know, are we sort of the next incarnation of, you know, fans that just tuned into baseball may not know this, but the Astros lost 100 games. Three seasons in a row at one point, not too long ago, and then built up the best farm system in Major League Baseball, and have been highly competitive ever since. And uh, and so, are the Orioles positioning themselves to be to make a run like that? And um, you know, we're not going to know obviously until they they get on the field and play games.
0: Can't find out unless they play the games. So, uh, Ben Shapiro, thank you so much for joining us here on the pod. Is there anything we're missing first and foremost that you want to add that we have not covered?
1: Uh, no, I think we're good right now. I think we're doing, I think this was a, a good segment. I wasn't happy to to come back on and uh, talk baseball and maybe even baseball, non-lockout baseball with
0: you. Heaven for fend. And one last thing, just cause I ask everyone this, Ben, I know you're very busy with, with fatherhood and everything that that implies, particularly during a pandemic, but what music are you listening to these days?
1: god i'm barely listening to music these days i should listen to more music i i do listen to uh i keep up and listen to the foo fighters uh my probably the one in my in my opinion like the one great modern like mega rock band still going that's not like super old like the rolling stones obviously um but they're probably the the biggest modern label and i i've I've always had a soft spot. I've always listened. I grew up listening to, you know, a lot of like old school, like hip hop. So like I always listened to like Public Enemy and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul if they were actually available to stream and that kind of stuff. Wow.
0: Well, you know what? That's good enough for me. It's, it doesn't have to be the hippest, latest thing around the pike. It's whatever give, puts your soul at ease. That's the great thing about music. I've been listening to Terrence Trent Darby nonstop, and that album came go. 30, 35 <laughs> years ago, so who am I to say? <laughs> but, Ben, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure. I'm happy to come back on. We'll be in touch.
0: Cool. We'll be back after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports Podcast. And now I've got some choice words. Okay, look, it's been surprising if not downright shocked, to witness how rapidly the institutions that rule the sports world have entered the fray in opposition to Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Just days after the invasion, the International Olympic Committee called for countries involved in international competition to, quote, not invite or allow the participation of Russian and Belarusian athletes and officials. It said its goal was, quote, to protect the integrity of global sports competitions and for the safety of all the participants. This is surprising, considering that the IOC never met an autocracy it didn't love, including Russia, which hosted the 2014 Sochi Winter Games. The International Paralympic Committee, after an outcry from participating countries, reversed course and barred Russian and Belarusian athletes from competing in the Paralympic Winter Games in Beijing. FIFA, soccer's global governing body, took an even harder and to soccer-mad Russia undoubtedly more painful stance by banning all Russian and national club teams from international competition and kicking out the Russian men's national team from their World Cup qualifying games. Poland, Sweden, and the Czech Republic, independently of FIFA, all refused to play Russia in World Cup matches. Then the National Hockey League, not exactly known for its political spine, announced that it would cease running its Russian-language social and digital media sites, as well as severing its ties with Russian business partners. What has driven these actions by sporting organizations? They are, let's remember, cartels whose politics have ranged from uncaring to downright reactionary. They have been over the years way too comfortable doing business with autocrats and oligarchs. They have also had little or nothing to say about the crimes, wars, and occupations in other countries, no matter the body count. Their hypocrisy is as dazzling as their newfound zeal for peace. So what's changed? Well, here's my two cents. First and foremost, there is the very real possibility that nuclear weapons could be unleashed while everyone is scrambling to find a way to curb Russia's imperial ambitions. So that's one reason. The United Sporting Front is also due in part to the peace activism of athletes ranging from Russian tennis players to Ukrainian soccer players, so there's that as well. But the best way to understand what is taking place is by recognizing that there has been a profound shift in the sports industrial complex over the past 10 years. Our world is mired in polarization, crisis, and decay. And among young people, the belief that one must take a side and you can't be neutral on a moving train has become an article of faith. Hyperpolitics, politics, for better and for worse, are now a part of every aspect of life, and the world increasingly has become a place where it is more difficult for injustice to fester in the shadows. Instead, misbehavior invariably draws a response on social media or is revealed on social media. The young audience that has driven this cultural shift is also extremely desired by sports organizations that fear their own aging audiences signal the future obsolescence of their product. When people insist that sports organizations stand up for human rights, these organizations feel the pressure in their pocketbook and in their own existential fears for the future. In short, it is far more difficult for them to hide. The athletes themselves, many of whom are of this generation, have led this shift in the traditionally conservative staid world of sports. The example of athletes who have spoken out over the last decade including of course uh, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick has had a molecular altering effect on the sports world when it has left the IOC, the IPC, FIFA and the National Hockey League attempting to catch up. Kaepernick's actions of taking a knee in protest of police violence and racial inequity has been, for the last five years, a global phenomenon. It has unleashed athletes from the Olympics to the World Cup who have wanted to get their points across to society. Soccer teams in Europe now routinely take a knee as a challenge against the racism in their own fan bases. WNBA players helped oust sitting Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler of Georgia by aggressively countering her criticism of their support for black lives, and in the process flipped the entire U.S. Senate. It's the players who have challenged leagues to actually stand for something beyond profits. Whatever their sincerity, this pressure has created flashpoints like the ones we are seeing today. There's no denying it. Sports is a political force now and in the future. The wine is out of the bottle and even the great sporting cartels understand that it's not being poured back in. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubblegum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you the listener. So please go to patreon.com/edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com/edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com/edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you, make no mistake about it. And now Back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Well, now it's time for the Just Stand Up, Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards. The Just Stand Up Award and Just Sit Down Awards are being suspended for this week. So we can just call it the Just Keep Your Head Up Award. We just want to send all of our solidarity to Brittany Griner. Ah, uh, somebody whom I've met and interviewed in the past. Someone who is right now in Russia as we're doing this podcast. Hopefully, she'll be out by the time uh, we t- we're, uh, we hit the airwaves. Uh, Brittany Griner, of course, has been in prison for several weeks without people knowing. I mean, somehow that was kept under wraps. Brittany Griner, who's one of the biggest stars in the hall of the WNBA, uh, biggest in terms of her ability, biggest in terms of her fame, and biggest in terms of her size. And so her disappearing for two weeks, you'd think it would have uh, gotten out somehow, but apparently everyone was trying to keep it quiet as they were trying to negotiate behind the scenes to make this go away. But Russia claims that she was found uh, with uh, cannabis oil uh, you know, that you vape with, and that violates the, the drug laws of Russia. I mean, this is so obviously pure, unadulterated horseshit, I, I actually have no words. But the bigger issue is, will we get Brittany Griner home safe and sound? Now, there's some people out there who are saying that we shouldn't even be talking about this, that it actually more greatly imperils Brittany Griner if we bring public scrutiny to bear on her imprisonment. And I just wanted to say how how strongly I disagree with that just by looking at history and frankly, some of my own experiences where I've had people I know who've been locked up because they've been at political conferences in other countries and there's been had to be an effort for international solidarity campaigns. Invariably, you need to shine a light anytime you have a situation where there's someone's a political prisoner, whether it's for one week, one year, or 10 years, or a hundred years. Anytime you have a situation where there's somebody who is in jail in an autocratic country for political means or frankly in any country for political means. Shout out Leonard Peltier in this country and Mumia Abu-Jamal and the political prisoners in the United States. But the bigger issue is that you have to shine a light on what is taking place. You have to drag this into the sunlight because this kind of oppression, It takes place in shadows. That's where it's comfortable. That's where it festers. That's where it grows. So I will say it loudly and proudly from the mountaintop. Free Brittany Griner. Hopefully by the time you hear this, she'll be home. We are back with the part of the show that everybody seems to be missing. The part of the show we call Jake's Takes. You might have thought we were done with Jake because of the end of the NFL season. But the incredible uproar from the Edge of Sports podcast audience for more Jake has overcome me. So, we're back with Jake Zirin. He also knows a ton about the National Basketball Association. How you doing, Jake?
2: I'm good, how are you?
0: Doing great, doing great. Look, uh, there's only one question I really have for you as we start our period of talking about the NBA instead of the NFL. And that's, look, we're in the march already. Who do you see emerging from the Eastern Conference? Who do you see emerging from the Western Conference? Who do you think's gonna make it to the NBA championship?
2: You see, the ta- the amount of talent and the amount of teams that are really stepping up these past couple weeks has been just phenomenal. I mean, the the Celtics have I have had this random uproar, mm-hmm. like like they were like on the Wizards level. Now they have a better record than the Cavs. They're the five seed right now, so they're doing really well. You know, you have the the 76ers who, you know, they've always been doing well. But they're the two seed right now. And they just got James Harden. They're on a 4-0 record. He's been balling out. Tyrese Maxey's been balling out. Joel Embiid's been doing his thing. Love
0: Tyrese Maxey here on the Edge of Sports podcast.
2: The Miami Heat. They don't even, like, have the best roster on paper, yet they have they're three games ahead of the number two seed.
0: And they have Victor Oladipo coming back.
2: Victor Oladipo coming back tonight. Or on Monday. And then, you know, I'm only talking about the Eastern Conference right now. You know, you go to the West. The Whoa, last- wait, before
0: you go to the West, mm-hmm. you didn't mention the Brooklyn Nets. Do, do you not. not see them as being in that mix?
2: They're 500 right now, and they are, I mean, they're 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games. They- My buddy
0: Atan Thomas says none of that matters if Kevin Durant's healthy come playoff time.
2: You know, I, I could see that, but I, I really don't think that they're gonna truly succeed in the playoffs because if they're gonna stay somewhere within this six to eight seed, even like five to eight seed, they they are automatically not. They're not gonna be a home team. They're not gonna. They're gonna be facing a really good team because the top four seeds right now are the Heat, Seventy Sixers, Bucks, and Bulls. All those teams, they're three and a half games apart. Can they we just make the point all... though
0: that the Bulls are something like one and. In... 14 against the top seeds like some crazy number
2: they will step it up once it comes playoff time I guarantee it because they have been injured they've been injured they haven't really had all their guys all together and then when it comes playoff time they're going to be healthy and they're going to be really scary
0: Okay. So if you had to pick one team, and I'll let you switch on this as the weeks go on and the Jakes takes continue to develop NBA style, but if you had to pick one team right now to come out of the Eastern Conference, who would it be?
2: 76 Sixers. Ooh.
0: The team I picked last year, if you remember.
2: Last year they didn't have James Harden. Very true. And James Harden is gonna get his ring. That team looks so scary with James with like Tyrese Max, he has really oh. Like, he's been amazing.
0: It's so funny because Harden coming has actually increased Maxi's firepower. Yeah. Which I, I find really exciting. I love it when great players make other players greater instead of actually pull away from their, from their usage rates and uh, statistics. But, That's what makes a great player, by the way, when you make the people around you greater.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at just the the amount of chemistry that there is already between James Harden and his team it just it if it, 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 it's really phenomenal how how well they've been playing already like it's like they've been with each other for like 3 years like it's just it's crazy so yeah i have the 76ers coming out of the east okay sounds
0: good and you know what at this point in time i agree with you uh the western conference very tricky because phoenix has been balling out all season uh, as of this conversation, they just won a buzzer beater against the Knicks with a Cam Johnson 28-foot bank shot. I He's 38,
2: like that
0: was... He's so good. He's... Yeah. He's a talented dude. Come on. But the point is, is that Chris yeah. Paul's out for a long time.
2: Yeah, which is gonna... Th- that's gonna take a huge hit on this team. Because, like, before him, I know they've, like, had, like, a bunch of people step up. Like, these past couple... Like, past couple seasons, like... A bunch of people have truly like evolved into better mm-hmm. players, and that's including Devin Booker, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. You know, Mikael Bridges has looked good. Cameron Payne is out, out, out of nowhere. Like it looked like it was the end of his career. Like nobody knew him, except then like a big dance video came out with him and with him and um him and Russell Westbrook and OKC. That he went to the Bulls was literally terrible, and then went to Phoenix, he's had this random uproar of just, like, being a really solid bench player. Like, that team, it, it's it's really good, but, like, without Chris Paul, you know, it's going to be tough to hold that number one in the Western Conference, and I don't have them actually being, uh coming out of the West, even with Chris Paul.
0: Wow, even with Chris Paul. So, you know, the other great teams, you've got the Golden State Warriors, people are talking about, you've... Mm-hmm. Uh, Got a couple other squads who look frisky. There's question marks around teams like the Denver Nuggets. If Jamal Murray comes back. uh, You
2: guys are going to call me so crazy. I just know it.
0: Oh, my goodness. Who do you have coming out of the West?
2: I have the eight seed. What? L.A. Clippers. Whoa. L.A. Clippers are coming out of the West.
0: Mind blown. How? Explain and justify.
2: They have been amazing these last, like, week and a half, two weeks, and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to be back before playoff time. So when both of those guys are back with this stacked of a roster, Norman Powell, Robert Covington they just traded for, those two are great, are, are, are really solid players. You also have Reggie Jackson, who has like also... Yeah. He's, he's been doing so much better lately. This is the best season of his career. He's, like, in his 30s, I think. They, like, they have, they have a really talented roster, and they don't even have their two best players right now. And when those two come back... I think they are going to be so scary, and I th- I could really see them coming out of the West.
0: You really have blown my mind with that pick. I'm serious. Because one of the things, Jacob, that you taught me about during the NFL season and you always checked me on were two words, and I was very impressed that you used these two words, frankly, is you would always talk to me about recency bias. Are you suffering right now from recency bias and your love for the Clippers?
2: Well, that is a really... That is a recency bias. You, you, I don't... You're not using like the term recency bias correctly cause hey recently bi recent recency bias isn't like thinking like because this isn't, this isn't just like a take that's going on or, like right now
0: no it's in a unique take, but you said literally uh it's the last couple of weeks or the last week or two, so that makes me wonder if it's recency
2: bias yeah, and i it's not because i I truly think that they, that they're going to keep this up, and if they do keep this up, they could be like the six seed by. Or the 7th seed, even. Like, if they're the 7th seed and they face the Grizzlies, I think they're going to beat them, I think. And then after that, who knows what they can do.
0: Yeah, we didn't even mention the Grizzlies when we were talking about uh, possibilities. They do seem a year or two away yeah. to me.
2: I don't, I don't think they're going to be, like, amazing when come playoff time.
0: Yeah, I don't either. But it, it raises yet another question, though, about the Clippers, which is you have them still, though, in the play-in tournament.
2: Of course. They're the 8th seed right now.
0: Yeah, all right, well.
2: I mean, also, there are five games out of the nine seed.
0: All right, you know what?
2: Which is the other LA team.
0: You were picking the Clippers versus the 76ers, and I'll tell you, that takes some serious guts. The
2: Clippers over the 76ers?
0: No, 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 I said the Clippers, or if I said that, I apologize, I had the Clippers against the 76ers. Yes. That's a gutsy pick.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sticking with that for now, and that's going to... I mean, if they keep this up, I feel like that's going to stand for, for a good
0: while. Wow. Well, everybody, that's Jake's Takes for this week. Please stay tuned for next week when we're going to find out who Jacob's leaning towards for MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. We're going to do the whole thing next week. Even Coach of the Year. Ooh, very exciting. Very but exciting. Very exciting. But we'll, first and foremost, let's wrap this segment up. Well, that's all the time we have for this week on the podcast. Thank you so much, Ben Shapiro. Again, not the proto-fascist Ben Shapiro for coming on the show. Thank you so much to everybody out there listening. Thank you to my producer, David Tigabu. Thank you to our sponsors at The Nation Magazine. If you like this show, please tell a friend, write a little review, spread the word, do all those good things. For everybody out there listening, again, mask up, stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.